Good morning. Is anybody besides me excited that it's actually getting a little cooler? I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying that. A couple notes, that's okay, I respect that. But I, I love the way seasons change. I, I, I don't know why, but I especially like fall. I, I really like the beauty of the leaves changing. I like the idea that God didn't have to create them that way, that they could have just died or rotted off or just turned brown. Actually, that happens a lot in Tennessee. Um, but, but still, um, there's, there's, some, there's always hope in the seasons. Even when it looks like everything is dying, when it looks like things are falling apart, you, that God reminds us even just through trees and grass and all kinds of other things like that, that he's still in control, that something is happening that we don't see. And I love that. I love the little reminders and the little metaphors he puts throughout scripture. God's fingerprints, his signature is literally everywhere in, in creation and in his word. There are all these little metaphors, these ideas that he gives us to hang on to try to understand him better. Last week we spent quite a bit of time on some of those and I used an illustration of a stained glass window. I got one of Mufasa here. I couldn't find one of a king that I wanted good enough, but um, Mufasa was a good king, king of the lions and the lion king. But the idea is that if you look at any piece of that glass, the light would shine through it. There'd be some beauty there, but you wouldn't really know what's going on. You have to see the big picture. And one of the few big pictures that God gives us is the idea of him being a good king. One of the things that we do as a family is my, my wife, Kim, her whole extended family goes on this annual vacation every year. We do this every summer. And one of the things that has to happen, do you guys have traditions like that? Anybody else have traditions with your family? Like something happens every year? Okay, a few people. Anyway, here's the thing. They, we always have to build a puzzle with at least 500 pieces. I'm not sure who started that, but that, that just has to happen. And the first night, somebody dumps it out, and it's just mass chaos. It's just crazy. Uh, half the pieces are upside down. You're looking at them, you have no idea. The only way that it makes any sense at all, the only way there's any hope of actually figuring this out is you get the picture on the front of the box. And you go, oh, that might be part of that. That might be part of that. So this metaphor of God being a good king and that we are building his kingdom, it's not the only great metaphor out there. There are wonderful ones all throughout nature and all throughout scripture, but we're latching onto this one because it's one of the few that helps us get our brain around all of it. Even within that one metaphor, there's some variety. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's sometimes talking about the ultimate kingdom of heaven when Jesus comes back and everything is made new. Sometimes he's talking about the throne room of God, where Jesus sits at his right hand now, where God hears our prayers, where angels bow down and say, holy, holy, holy. Most of the time, he's talking about this right here, the kingdom that he's asked us to build right here, right now. Sometimes he's talking about both or two or three of them at the same time, like in his prayer, where he said, our father who is in heaven, may your name be praised. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's both of them at the same time. But it all fits together when we understand this one truth. And if you're a note taker, if you're um, following along, you do not have to. There's no test at the end. But the first line on here is, our good king demands complete obedience. Our good king. If you can remember that God is a good king and he's asked us to build a kingdom, then you've got the key idea. You've got the main idea of all of those places. Anywhere there's the kingdom of God is where there's complete obedience to God. 
Jesus even said one time that the kingdom of God is within you. If you are in complete obedience to God, God's kingdom is growing in you. If your, your home is an outpost of the kingdom of God, if this church is an outpost of the ever-growing kingdom of God, then that is the kingdom of God. Heaven is the kingdom of God. The ultimate version of heaven at the end of time is the kingdom of God. But it's always where God is worshiped and loved and trusted as a good king. And we give him our complete allegiance and obedience. Here's a couple of verses I showed you last week. We're going to move on to new things, but I just need to lay this foundation so everything else can build on this. Here are three verses. Uh, one is from Jesus, two are from Paul. Jesus said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He also said, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. One of the things that Jesus did to help us understand how the kingdom grows is tell us stories. And he taught us in stories all the time. I love stories. That's one of the most powerful ways to remember anything, to really care about anything, is to be caught up in a story. But he had several stories that specifically spoke with this line. The kingdom of heaven is like. Told you a couple last week, I'll tell you two more today. These ones I'm going to read straight out of the scripture. There'll be some pictures up there, but I'm going to read straight out. These are the words of Jesus. They're short, so pay attention. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast, a woman used in making bread. And even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So once again, we see God's design everywhere. We see God's design, little hints of what he wanted his kingdom to look like, even in little things like seeds and yeast. Because here's something that God loves, and you can see this throughout creation, you can see this everywhere, and you can definitely see it in how he designed his kingdom to grow. And it's this, God loves very small, but very intentional, very carefully designed beginnings. And he loves to see those very small, carefully designed beginnings grow exponentially in ways you couldn't imagine when you just saw the little tiny thing that started it all. And produce something that's good. Something that makes the world a better place. You can find this in creation everywhere you go. You can even see it sometimes. Well, I'm not see it, sure see is the right word. But even invisible things like sound waves. You, there's a thing that starts it. And then the, the waves get bigger and bigger. You can visually see that when you drop a rock into water. The little plop. And then. He puts these little clues everywhere. Because that's how he wants and this is exactly how he wants his kingdom to grow. Small, intentional, full of design, full of purpose, grows exponentially, produces good stuff. 
Would you read Acts 1-8 with me again? We looked at this last week. We're going to read this together, actually, every week for the next several weeks, these four weeks together. But read this with me. This is just a few moments after Jesus gave us the great commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you, and I will always be with you. Then he kind of gets a little specific with his disciples, and here's what he said. Let's say it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Once again, we find great meaning in this because he was literally talking about how the truth would spread, how the kingdom would grow in that geographical area. They were literally starting in a place called Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, the same place that you could go visit today. They're starting in Jerusalem and it's spreading out. But we find great meaning in this because, again, like he puts pictures everywhere, it just makes sense to look at it this way. And so this is what we're doing these four weeks. Jerusalem represents your closest circle of friends, your family, your home church. It's the people that you are with. This is where you are right now. It's point A. It's where you are right this minute. You don't have to learn another language to communicate with the people. You already know their names. You already know who they are. It starts right here, right now, right there. But then it starts spreading really quick. Judea is the area around Jerusalem for us. Our Judea, and you can write this down, is our community. Maybe it's Kingston, Harriman, Rockwood. Maybe it's all Rome County. Maybe it's all the state of Tennessee. I don't know. But it's places you can get to easy. It's people that you already see. Maybe you don't know them that well. Maybe they're not in your closest circle of friends. But you don't have to work that hard. You just have to work. You just have to be intentional about saying the truth to them. You just have to be intentional about sharing love with them. You just have to try. And you just might be able to grow God's kingdom in Judea. That's where our focus is today. Samaria represents people that geographically are fairly close, but culturally, socially, whatever other ways there are, we'll deal with this next week, but there are barriers that we have to break down, replace walls with bridges. And finally, the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth means the ends of the earth. It means everywhere, literally everywhere. And today we have some special guests from Cram. And uh, they've got a booth set out. I really urge you to go and talk to them and some of the new stuff that they're doing. We're really proud and honored to support what they're doing, reaching the ends of the earth. And they're here today. And I, I just wanted to encourage you to go and visit them today. But today, in our, what we're talking about in here, we're going to continue to focus on Judea, which is our community. Is this making sense so far? Everybody with me? Are we okay? All right, here we go. There's a guy named Steve Shogren. If you haven't heard of him, uh, you, you should. He's probably the expert on turning churches into organizations that are focused on outreach, like helping a church transform their DNA from the inside out so that they're known as people who reach out. That's not just something they do. It's not part of their agenda. It's not one of their programs. It's what they do. He's got lots of books about this, a lot of other books about this. Quote him. He's a pretty cool guy. You can look up his stuff at steveshogren.com. You got to spell it that way. It's kind of weird, but that's it. Or this is easier, kindness.com. If you're interested in some of his practical ideas, they're really awesome. But this quote that's up here, this one kind of haunts me. 
He says, discipleship in many cases is just a synonym for personal growth. And he urges us not to settle for that. Here's what that means. Churches everywhere, Christians everywhere fall for this all the time. We come to church, we go to a Bible study, we read God's word on our own, we go to special events, TCTC camp, whatever. And what happens is, what we're trying to do, all we settle for is this, we're trying to get something from that that we can put into our own ideas about what we want for our lives. We're trying to become a better person in whatever definition we have already created for ourselves of a better person. Rather than falling on our knees before the king of kings and saying, what do you want? We kind of come in here like this. And we go, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I might try that one. If you're a human being and you've ever been to church or read a book about God or read the actual Bible, you, you're, you've probably done this. I know I have. I'm not being judgmental. I'm being honest. This is a danger that we're all in. But discipleship is not just trying to cram some good stuff from God in to whatever we're already going to do anyway. Discipleship means you are actually following Jesus. Every single choice you make is trying, at least, to sync up with him and his will. Trying to help him build the kingdom he has asked us to build. Ed Stetzer is another person who you might want to look up if you're interested in how to make churches and communities grow better. I've been reading a lot from these guys lately, but this is a good one from him. He warns, don't let your church be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. That's pretty good. He also says this, if you're going to reach your community, you must fall in love with your community. Good missionaries love the people and the culture that they work with. Steve Shogren has some really cool ideas. If you've ever heard of the idea, um, random acts of kindness, have you ever heard that term? He's the one that came up with that term, I believe. Where people just, you go somewhere and you think they're selling something and they're just giving it away. It's, it's really cool stuff. But if you're just doing that to look good, it's not going to make any difference at all. Nobody really needs free donuts that badly. That's not really going to change their life. It's going to shock them a little bit. It's going to be cool. And they're like, really? A church is just giving stuff away and not charging. And I like donuts. That's cool. But that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole thing. And he knows that, and he, he and Ed and all these other people, and here's me begging you to notice this, it's got to be about love. It's got to be about actually trying to obey the Great Commission and not just try to get people to come to our church, but to help them con constantly be fighting to get them to follow Jesus and to lead by example. We must live like kingdom citizens if we want God's kingdom to grow. I'm going to say that one more time. We must live like kingdom citizens if we want God's kingdom to grow. On your bulletin thing, if you're still taking notes, there's several little scriptures here that I've referenced. I hope you look those up. There's two little spaces here where it says weeds and wheat. That's kind of a reference to the story we told last week. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. The farmer plants wheat and then his enemy comes and plants weeds this morning, I just want to use this as, as a space. This is for you and me. I've already filled out several things in both categories, straight up, on my copy of it. I'm going to refer you to a book called Safe People by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. 
And if you struggle with dysfunctional relationships, if you're the one causing that, or if you're constantly finding yourself attracted to people who just rip your life apart, or they're attracted to you, and you're just, this, you're just not finding things working very well, this is a super good book. This is one of the best just portraits of what it looks like to be someone who, who is in the kingdom, but not living like a kingdom citizen, versus someone who is actually part of the kingdom. So we're going to use weeds and wheat as this. I'm just going to read it off quick and keep on going. But if any of this resonates with you, I hope you write this down and wrestle with this later with God, just you and him. Weeds. Basically, these are fake. They're not real. They present a fake good self to others. They find it really easy to judge other people. They find it really easy to abandon relationships. They might apologize sometimes. They very rarely, if ever, actually repent or change. They demand unconditional trust. They don't really care that much about trying to earn it. Wheat, safe people, or citizens of the kingdom. Here's some things that they tend to do, according to these guys in this book, and also, I believe, other places in the Bible. They reveal their true selves, warts and all. They let you know. I actually think I'm right about this. I was wrong about this. They tell you the truth. They refuse to condemn others. Instead, they choose to see hope in others. They're constantly trying to help others grow. They're not going to lie and say, you're okay if you're not okay. But they're also going to say, but I believe you can be okay. They love to forgive. They find it easy to apologize. They find it not easy, but possible. And they do repent. They change when they need to. Whenever possible, whenever necessary, they choose fellowship or they choose the relationship. They choose the other person out of love, out of purpose, out of a desire that God's kingdom continues to grow unhindered. They're willing to wait. They're willing to work hard to earn your trust rather than demand it. Most of all, they're real. And one other thing, weeds, don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, self-control. Wheat does. Because the Holy Spirit is actually in them. That's the source of their power. That's the source of the small design that's growing exponentially and actually producing good in their lives. So when you see someone who's actually producing those things, you know the Holy Spirit is somehow involved in the process. And if that's you, take hope. And if it's not you, we all need to work together to help that become you and us and me. So how do we reach Judea? First of all, we've got to make sure that what's going on inside Jerusalem is right. Can't reach Judea without transforming Jerusalem. Here's some handouts that are special in the bulletin today. This one outlines all the, not all of them, but most of the small groups and youth groups and Sunday school classes and other things that we do here. The reason that we do that is because we believe that life change happens best in small groups. We believe that when you're really connected to other believers and you form relationships that you can actually connect with, really truly connect with and commit to, that your life is going to change more. 
We're doing some other things that are coming out. The big trunk or treat thing that we're going to be helping out in the um, Kingston community. I'm really excited about that. I encourage all of you to help out in one way or another. We're offering this thing, a life uh, like Arrow's movie that's coming out. Uh, we're going to be showing that here and it's all about helping parents become better parents. These are just hints. These are just things that I'm showing you because I would love for if you don't know how to connect here, we'd love for you to do that. We need every single one of us we need me, we need you, every single one of you. We need to become and be and keep growing as citizens of the kingdom. We can't just try to cram the good ideas that we hear into what we think a good person is and, try, and then just go home and go about our business. If we're going to grow the kingdom of God, that's got to be what we're about. That's got to be what drives everything else in our lives. And we're offering all of these things, including the outreach programs that we're trying to do, including some that aren't on here that will be happening soon. We're doing all of these trying to obey Jesus. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And my prayer is that I believe, I believe this, that the standard that we must always measure ourselves against. It's not our opinions, not our favorite things, but whatever it actually says in Scripture. What does Jesus call wheat? What does Jesus call weeds? What does Jesus say a kingdom citizen looks like? What does Jesus say one does not? Because he warns us that not only, uh, this is Matthew 16, the devil loves to counterfeit and ruin everything that God does. He likes to make cheap copies that are broken and twisted and messed up of every single thing God ever does. And one of the things that you also see in creation is a bunch of examples of that. Cancer is one of the worst ones. Our cells are designed to start small with intention and all kinds of awesome design. Our cells constantly are replicating and remaking new little copies of themselves and growing into something big, growing exponentially into something that does something good. Cancer is when that gets twisted and it gets broken and it grows as fast, maybe faster, but it destroys all the goodness. Jesus warned, using the same metaphor about yeast. He says, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Evil grows just as exponentially. And if we're not trying, if we're not 100% about growing the kingdom, then the other kingdom is gonna grow. Lesser things are gonna grow the exact same way. And it's not a fight, we're not competing against them, but if we just sit back, that's the only possible way that the devil could win. We've got to be kingdom citizens that are actively, constantly, passionately building the kingdom of God. The Apostle John puts it like this when he's talking about what it looks like to become a citizen, to be reborn as a citizen more than ever before. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This is the miracle of the gospel. It's not just about trying to figure out are you a weed or are you wheat? Jesus offers a chance for the worst of all weeds to become fertile wheat. Jesus offers the hope that we can transform 
that no matter where you are and how dirty or filthy anything in you has been, that Jesus can wash you clean. He can cleanse you. And when that happens, then we see him more clearly. And then the closer we get, we get to see him more and more clearly. And eventually, we actually, we are transformed and then the world begins to transform around us as we grow exponentially. The prophet Isaiah heard directly from God often. He was a faithful follower. There's a lot of wonderful stuff directly from God through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But in Isaiah 6, he says this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. He describes them. I'm just going to keep going. Here's what they were doing. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. And I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips and I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar and a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. This hope is there for all of us. We don't even need a seraphim with a burning coal in tongs. We have the blood of Jesus. We all have access to this cleansing, this renewal, this, this, this awareness that comes when we see the king, when we realize that what really matters in life is growing his kingdom more than anything else, when we realize that we are guilty of the same things that the people he's calling us to reach out are, and we need him to transform us. When all of this is happening, when all of this is happening inside of us, suddenly we can hear his purpose and we can, we're ready to finally see what he wants. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us, I said. I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. If you're writing stuff down, this is one more place I'd love for you to write something down. And if you're not, I just need you to take a moment. I'm going to stop talking in a few seconds. And I'm going to give you a, just some space to pray, talk to God. But I guarantee you that every single person in here, I've already written my stuff down. Every person in here has something that you need God to cleanse you from. For him to use you more than ever. You can, there's a space to write that down. Something, not, not just that he'll forgive you. Not that just he'll give you another chance. Not just that he'll just say, okay, fine, I won't punish you for that. That he'll cleanse you from that. He'll transform you. He'll fix it. He'll make you new. He'll take that weed-looking thing and turn it into a wheat-looking thing. He's going to change your DNA. He's going to change who you are. There's got to be something for every one of us in that category. The second thing is this. I believe that every single citizen of the kingdom is called to reach someone. Every single citizen. There will be some. There weren't every person in Israel is not the prophet Isaiah. He's going to call certain people to do specific things. But he's going to call every single one of us to reach someone. And you know who's going to reach most of Judea? You guys. Because you guys 
are the ones who are in all of those circles. Do you understand? So who's God calling you to reach today? What does he need to cleanse in you? Who's he calling you to reach? I'd, I'd like to see an actual name. I'm not going to see it. I want you to see it. I'm going to give you a second. I'm just going to be quiet. This is you and God. If you don't write it down, at least pray about it. Go. Most of us probably need to wrestle with that quite a bit more than just a few minutes. But I wanted to give you a couple minutes before you forget about it to at least get started. Right now, I'd like you to, to ask God one more prayer. Pray it with me, and we're going to have an invitation time. And I, I, I just want you to, to pray this simple prayer that Isaiah prayed. Pray it with us this morning and just say, here I am, send me. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And when you say this to God, we're going to say it a couple times. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm asking you to close your eyes mostly so that you won't see anybody else, okay? You're not going to raise your hand. I'm not doing anything like that this morning. I'm just asking you to just talk to God and don't worry about anybody else around you. But if you're serious about, I will try to reach this person. I wrote down their name. I will do my best this week to actually be building God's kingdom in my community. Then I need you to pray this with me. Let's say it together a couple times. Here I am. Send me. 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 During the invitation song time, if there's a decision you need to make public of any kind, you'd like prayer, you'd like to give your life to Christ, give your life back to Christ, join our fellowship, ask for prayer, whatever, please do that. But let's continue to pray this prayer. Here I am, send me.